We get it. You're busy. You don't have time to waste on the mainstream media. That's why Salem News Channel is here. We have hosts worth watching, actually discussing the topics that matter. Andrew Wilkow, Dinesh D'Souza, Brandon Tatum, and more. Open debate and free speech you won't find anywhere else. We're not like the other guys. We're Salem News Channel. Watch anytime on any screen for free 24-7 at snc.tv. And on local now, channel 525. WTBN Pinellas Park. Up next is Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. And I think there's a great lesson for us here. And, and the lesson is this, that God's judgments are warnings to us that God doesn't overlook sin. God does deal with sin, and he'll deal with our sin. Maybe you're not building a tower, but you have other sins, and I have other sins, and God will deal with them, and, and God will have his way. Welcome to Verse by Verse Ministry, a thorough, practical study of the Bible, one passage at a time. Verse by Verse is a daily Bible class of the air taught by Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Today on our program, Pastor Steve will be concluding a 10-day study on the prophecy of Noah and more specifically a two-day examination of mankind's rebellion at the Tower of Babel and God's judgment on this rebellion. The Bible is full of incidents where mankind individually or nationally rebelled against God in one form or another. For every act of rebellion and disobedience, God handed down a judgment. Because of God's holiness, he can't excuse sin or forget sin. His nature demands that he judge sin. When sin is confessed, God will forgive, even though the person may still suffer the consequences of that sin. If you have your Bibles, please open them to Genesis 11. Let's join Pastor Steve as he unfolds the story of the Tower of Babel and its consequences. The Babylonians divided the sky into sections, and they gave meanings to each section based on the stars found there in that section. An individual's destiny, they felt, was determined by whatever section or sign he was born under, and thus you have astrology, which, which goes on today. You can read it in almost any newspaper, in fact, just about any uh, major newspaper across the, the country and the world. This tower was an open defiance of God's system of worship. God had already made it clear the way to approach him, right? It was through a blood sacrifice. Was that not the message to Adam and Eve after they sinned? Was it not what Abel did and was killed for? Was it not what what Noah did when he sacrificed animals? Was it not what we will shortly read about Abraham, the Hebrew, who will worship God by a blood sacrifice? But not Nimrod and his followers. They refused that. Instead, they're worshiping the stars and the planets and, and the moon and all that stuff. It was a rejection of the creator for the worship of creation, which is precisely what Romans 1 is talking about. This is where organized false religion got its start. Do you understand that? This is where organized false religion got its start. And, and listen, when God scattered the people all over the world, you know what they did? They took this false religion and they just took it with them. And, and it became corrupted from the original. I mean, it was corrupted to begin with, but it became a corrupt form of the corrupted. And this is where all the false religions of the world started. Where do you think Hinduism started? And, and other false religions. 
Somebody didn't just invent it one day. It started with the Tower of Babel. And I'll tell you what, it will ultimately culminate during the tribulation period with Antichrist heading up a one-world false religious system. Let me show you this. To the last book of the Bible, Revelation 17. We go from the first book to the last book. Revelation 17 is about the religion, the one-world religion, the false church that will exist during the tribulation period known as the mother of harlots, Babylonianism. Babylon the Great. We read, and I'll just briefly cover this, verses 1 and 2. And one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and spoke with me, saying, Come here, I shall show you the judgment of the great harlot who sits on many waters, with whom the kings of the earth committed acts of immorality, and those who dwell on the earth were made drunk with the wine of her immorality. Uh, After pouring out the seven bowls of God's wrath on the earth, one of the angels invites uh, John to see a vision. And it's a vision of the false church. She's called a harlot. She's a harlot. She's a prostitute. And she has formed an intimate relationship with the kings of the earth. That is to say there'll be an alliance between government and religion. Government and religion. And uh, she is an immoral woman in the sense that she claims to be the true church. But she's not. She is outwardly religious, but her intimacy is not with the true God, but with the kings of earth. The earth, and, and, and she, she has deceived and seduced the whole world, apart from true believers who will have been saved during that time. But it says she sits on many waters, and according to verse 15, the waters of the people of the world. She is a wicked, wicked woman. And now John is going to see even more about her. Actually, in the first few verses, the angel invites him to see this vision. Now he shows him the vision, verses 3 and following. And he carried me away in the spirit into a wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast full of blasphemous names, having seven heads and ten horns. What's he talking about? What's the, what's the beast? She's, she's sitting on a scarlet beast. We know from other scripture, from, from Revelation 13, 1, that the beast is the Antichrist. We call him the Antichrist, but primarily in scripture he's called the beast. And that is to say that the Antichrist is going to, at least in the first half of the tribulation period, he will support this false religious system. He needs the system, and the religious system needs him. It's it's an alliance. And so he is seen supporting her. He will form an alliance with this worldwide religious system as he rises to power. Then we know that once he rises to power in the second half of the tribulation, he throws the uh, false religious system, the prostitute, off of him because now he will turn to the world and say, worship me. Forget her, worship me. Scarlet beast. Notice verse 4. And the woman was clothed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls, having in her hand a gold cup full of abominations and of unclean things of her immorality. She's all dolled up. She looks good on the outside. You know why? She's a prostitute. She's supposed to try to look good on the outside to seduce people. She's got nice-looking clothing, expensive jewelry, but her beauty is deceptive because notice at the end of verse 4, it says that she has a golden cup filled with abominations and unclean things. What's that? It's the filth of her doctrine. The filth of her doctrine. When you get beyond the outward externals of this prostitute, what she believes and what she practices is an abomination to God. What, what is it? What is it? You know, you know what it is? 
It's the false religious system started at the Tower of Babel. It is Babylonianism. Because verse 5 says, upon her forehead a name was written, a mystery. Here's what she's teaching. Here's what she's about. Here's what she is. Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and of the abominations of the earth. Listen, the mother of harlots means every false religious system, no matter what their name is, got their start in Babylon. She is the mother of all harlots. What, What was this religious system? Well, I have a great quote here from Richard DeHaan concerning the mystery religion of Babylon. This should give you more insight into even into what's going on today in false religions. Listen to this. Ancient records, he writes, indicate that Nimrod or Nimrod Bar Cush, that would be Nimrod's son of Cush, as he is called on the monuments, was married to Semiramis who is reputed to have originated the Babylonian mystery religions and was the first high priestess of idolatry. Ancient lore has it that she gave birth to a son whom she claimed was miraculously conceived. The child was named Tammuz and was hailed as a savior. Undoubtedly, Satan was trying to delude mankind concerning the promise to Eve. Remember that promise? That that one of her seed would crush the serpent's head. This is going to be a corruption of that. All false religion is a corruption of that great truth. He wanted people to think that the seed of the woman who would ultimately crush the serpent's head was Tammuz. The resulting religious system with its mystery rites, its immoral practices of worship, its virgins dedicated to religious prostitution, its sprinkling of holy water, and its legends of the mother and child spread throughout the entire Middle Eastern world. If one studies the idolatrous religions of Canaan, Egypt, Phoenicia, uh, Assyria, Greece, and Rome, he will find that they are basically the same with only minor variations. The names of the gods and goddesses were different in each country, but every one of these religions featured a mother called the Queen of Heaven and a virgin-born son who was slain by a wild beast but later brought back to life. Through, uh, through the myth and legends that gradually grew down through the years, Satan presented to the world a religion which in many ways was an amazing counterfeit of the truth. This carefully contrived system of pagan mysteries with its superficial likeness to God's truth as revealed in the Holy Scriptures is Babylonianism, and it continues today. That is what we mean by she is the mother of all harlots. And, and it all began here, and it continues today. We hear about the Queen of Heaven. We hear about the uh, Roman church today. It just continues today. And it continues around the world with, with variations. And all of this, as we go back to Genesis 11, all of this indicates something basic that we ought to understand. It, it's theology 101. Man is not good. Man, it is very hard, is, is evil. And false, or I should put it this way, religion is not good. Religion is not good. Sometimes people will say to us, oh, you're very religious. We're really not very religious in, in this sense of the term. We have a relationship with God. We're not into religion. Organized religion is not a good thing. The reason you have so many uh, religions today is not because man is so good seeking after God. It's because man is so evil and he's turned from God. And he's going to worship something. And this something started at the Tower of Babel and he just perpetuates it. If he was good, if he was right. He would come by the blood sacrifice of Jesus Christ and be saved, but he's not. So false religion and organized religion is not a good thing, but a rejection of God's truth. In fact, 
Revelation, the verse right after this, Revelation 17.6 says that this, this uh, pagan uh, religious system in the tribulation, Babylonianism, will kill many believers. Organized religion has martyred more of God's people than any other institution down through the ages, and it certainly will in the tribulation because false religion hates the truth of God. That's why they rebelled in the first place. They hate the truth of God. If they love the truth of God, they wouldn't do this. They are self-centered, independent towards God, and in opposition to God's way of salvation. Listen, let me say by way of application, if you don't know Jesus Christ, understand this. You cannot come to God on your own terms. You can't make up the rules. I know people like that. Well, why are there so many religions? And, and is, are you saying that all these other people are lost and, and that you only have the right way? Well, I'm not saying that. The Bible says that. God set the rules. I didn't set the rules. God did. You cannot come to God on your own terms, but only on his terms. And if you don't like that, it just indicates a rebellious heart. That's all it indicates. It's not an it's, it's, it's not a, uh, academic problem. It is a heart problem. And, and if you don't come to God on his terms, you are just like Nimrod and his followers. So Nimrod's attitude at the Tower of Babel is nobody's going to tell me or my people what to do. At least that's what they think. At least that's what they think. So we, we, we've looked at man's rebellion. What about God's response? God's judgment in verses 5 through 9. How does God respond to their rebellion and defiance? Verse 5. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of men had built. God is pictured here as coming down. Uh, this is what we call an anthropomorphism. Don't try to say that fast. That's a tough one. But an anthropomorphism means God is being described as if he were, were man. Uh, he's being described in human terms to, to communicate to us. God didn't actually literally get off of his throne in heaven and come down and take a look around. It simply means he, he evaluated the situation and he decided to do something about it. And he explains it in verses 6 and 7. And the Lord said, behold, they are one people and they all have the same language. And this is what they began to do. And now nothing which they purpose to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down. And this probably let us uh, an allusion to the Trinity. Come, let us go down there and, conf and confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. God recognized that man was such a competent creature. And he really is, isn't he? I mean, have you ever thought about how competent man is? We don't want to exalt man, but we are highly competent. If you have flown recently, just think about that. You're thousands of feet up in the air and you're eating some food, if they serve you any, or maybe peanuts. But, you know, you don't even want to think about that. That is an incredible accomplishment. Man can accomplish so many things. Very competent, but he's sinful. So capable, so creative, but he's sinful. And he's going to use many times, especially when he's unified with others, he's going to use his creativity to accomplish a lot, but in defiance of God. That, that's what God means. See, if they had success with this project of rebellion, they'd be encouraged to do more worldwide unified defiance of God. This is only the beginning, God says. I want you to understand that global unity is not a good thing. It's not a good thing. Not, not as long as man has a sin nature. Not as long as man has a sin nature because a united people accomplish more sin than people who are not united. And that's why unity at this point is not good. It'll be fine once we uh, are with the Lord in the, in the kingdom and in heaven. 
So God puts up a language barrier to confuse their one language. In other words, God created a barrier to their communication so that they could no longer be unified in their rebellion. They couldn't understand each other anymore. Now, how he did that, we're not told. Maybe he changed their mind. Obviously, their minds were affected, so they couldn't understand those outside their own family group. They could understand their own family group and their own units, but they couldn't understand others. It could be that maybe he changed their ability to make certain sounds with their lips. Could be a combination of both of this. Maybe something we haven't even thought of, but they didn't understand one another. And could you imagine a building project with that? You know, there are some people probably wondering if others were mocking them. Are you making fun of my speech? Others, uh, could you imagine foremen getting irritated when they said, I want some nails, and they gave, threw him a hammer? You know, nobody understood each other. Frustrations, misunderstandings, so they just said, forget this, and they left. They, they couldn't accomplish anything. They couldn't communicate. They stopped building the tower, and they left that area, and each family unit that could understand one another left, and that's how God scattered them over the face of the earth. That's what happened. Verses 8 and 9. So the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of the whole earth, and they stopped building the city. Yeah, because they couldn't understand each other. I'll bet a few fights broke out. Therefore, its name was called Babel. By the way, the Babylonian term for Babel, which is a close word, is the gateway to God, the gate of God. But the Hebrew term, which is what this is talking about, is confusion. Confusion, which, which just adds to what the tower was. It's a gateway to try to have some uh, worship there. But it's called Babel, I mean, confusion, because there the Lord confused the language of the whole earth, and from there the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of the whole earth. You know what's interesting about this? Precisely what they refused to do, they did. God made sure they, they did. They were forced to do it in judgment. And Family units eventually became tribes. Tribes eventually became nations. And, and with them went the false religions that even exist today. That's how the nations came about. Do you know what's interesting about this? And I find this fascinating. Look at chapter 10, verse 25. I told you we'd pick up a few names here. Two sons were born to Eber. Remember Eber, where we get the term Hebrew from? Eber. The name of the one was Peleg. And then there's another son who was Joktan. But you know what Peleg means? His name means division. For it says, for in his days, the earth was divided. The earth was divided. In the days of Peleg, meaning division, the earth was divided, meaning that this took place in Peleg's time. You know, scholars tell us that from Noah to Peleg, you know how long it was? Probably about 200 years could you believe that that man, I mean, I can, cause, but it's an amazing thing, that mankind in 200 years after the flood sort of forgot the lesson of the flood, that mankind so wicked in 200 years, he's now unified against God. You would think that they would have learned their lesson, but, but we don't. We don't. It says something very important about mankind. And I think there's a great lesson for us here. And, and the lesson is this, that, that God's judgments are warnings to us that God doesn't overlook sin. God does deal with sin, and he'll deal with our sin. Maybe you're not building a tower, but you have other sins, and I have other sins, and God will deal with them, and, and God will have his way. If there's anything that this passage teaches to us by way of principle is that you can defy God, you can disobey him, but you'll not get your way. He will get his way one way or another. You cannot win with God. 
think about this. For example, the people considered their strength unity. That's our strength, unity. And God destroyed that unity by confusing their languages or confusing their one language. What, what did they fear most? Being scattered. God made sure they were scattered against whatever they, they wanted, they, against, against really their own will. And what they desired most, remember what they desired most? A name for themselves. They got a name called Babel, confusion. That was their name. That was the name of this whole thing. All that God wants from us is simple, humble submission to his word. That, that's, that's all he wants. And if you are, and the message to you, if you are not a true follower of Jesus Christ, is this, you are a false worshiper. No matter how elaborate your worship is, no matter how good you feel about it, you're a false worshiper who really loves himself to the point of being defiant towards God. And we've all been there. All of us who have accepted Christ have been there. And thank God, God saved us out of that. How do you get saved out of that? You repent. You turn from your sin of worshiping self and you turn to Jesus Christ for salvation. Let's bow for prayer. As we're quiet, as we're still before the Lord, I believe that God's word, whenever the word is taught, it's a man's response. Number one, if you are a true believer of Jesus Christ, the response that you ought to have to this is humble submission. Humble submission. Is there something in your life that you are rebelling against God on? Some issue? Some attitude? Then you need to repent now. Because you'll not win. And, and whether you win or not, that, that's not the issue. The issue is God wants to be glorified. Maybe as a believer, you're caught up in the rat race of trying to make a name for yourself. What's all important to you? Business? Money, career, trying to, to get ahead in life, trying to impress people. That's, that's wrong. God resists the proud, and he'll resist you. You need to humble yourself and recognize that he gets the glory, not you. His glory will not share with another. And if you're not a true believer in Christ, then the message to you is very, very simple. Come by way of a blood sacrifice. There's, there's only one provision, and that is Jesus Christ. I, I urge you, I invite you, in the words of the Apostle Paul, I, I plead with you to come to Christ. And if you want to speak to somebody, one of our leaders after the service, one of our leaders will be right up in the front here, and he'll be happy to talk to you. Let's just have a few moments of silence, and then we'll close. Father, all around this auditorium, I pray that there are people talking to you in honesty, confessing sins of defiance and rebellion. And Lord, as, as your people, there's no option for us. We have been saved to follow Jesus Christ. Lord, you've called us into a life of holiness and obedience. And at times we, we do get sidetracked. At times we do wander from the God that we love. And I pray for each one, Lord, who has wandered into areas that they ought not to be, attitudes that they ought not to be. I pray that you'll bring them back. And I pray for those, Father, who are outside of, of Christ, involved perhaps in a false religion or involved, Lord, in a religion they have come up with concerning the worship of themselves. I pray, Father, that you would draw them to Jesus Christ. For no, no one comes to the Son except the Father draw him. We pray for that to be accomplished. We pray, 
Lord, that our worship of you might be pure and right. Your glory you'll not share with another. And we want you to receive all the glory, all that we are, Lord. All that, all that we have belongs to you. We recognize that. We don't want to be in any way like pagan man. Lord, we worship you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Pastor, for sharing your heart with our radio audience. The beginning of this study began with a prophecy of Noah concerning his sons made thousands of years ago. With Pastor Steve's insight, he brings the truths of years ago right to the present. That which we heard today is just as true now as it was back then. If you would like to hear the entire message at one time, you can order a CD or cassette by calling us at 727-441-1714. Leave your name and a number, and we'll return your call during weekday office hours. Our web address is versebyverseradio.org. We have today's lesson, as well as many previous ones, available as audio downloads, or you can listen to them online. That is versebyverseradio.org. I hope you'll join us for the next Verse by Verse. Pastor Steve will be launching into a new series of lessons as we study God's Word, one verse at a time. Your announcer is Jerry Pruden. You've been listening to Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. This program was pre-recorded. To learn more, including how to donate to this ministry, visit versebyverseradio.org. That's Verse by Church is where you find the teaching and fellowship.